welcome to the Climate Change and Health Podcast from the UCL Energy Institute. In this series, we'll be looking at the co-benefits of climate change mitigation. What does this mean? Well, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change defines them as the positive benefits related to the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. Since we're focusing on health, this means things like avoiding harmful air pollution if we switch to electric cars, or living longer if we adopt low-carbon diets. I'm Harry Kennard, a researcher in climate, energy and health at UCL, and I'll be chatting to scientists and academics from UCL and beyond in the run-up to COP26, the climate conference, later in the year in Glasgow. For this episode, I spoke to Dr. Gesha Hubner about the relationship between climate change and mental health. Geisha is a lecturer in Sustainable and Healthy Built Environment at UCL. She has over 60 publications looking at everything from the complexities of the energy supply system to occupant behaviour in buildings. She also has the slightly dubious accolade of being one of my former PhD supervisors. I felt it was important to mention this, but I passed, so it turned out okay. So, Geisha, welcome to the podcast. If we can uh, kick off with uh, hearing a little bit about yourself, about your academic background and how you became interested in climate change research. Yes, of course. Thanks, Harry. So this might turn into a slightly long-winded answer. I studied psychology and then did my PhD in a neuroscience program studying visual perception, so nothing at all related to climate change. I had always been interested in sustainability more generally. I think my mom instilled a lot of that in myself and my sister, so about recycling and not wasting things. And I still remember when I was maybe 11, 12, I was always wearing my oversized Greenpeace t-shirts, buying recycled paper and giving a presentation on wind farms in my physics class. So it was always there somewhere in my life. But anyway, then I actually started studying psychology and I really loved visual perception. So how do we see the world? And so then I focus on that as a study area. But after my PhD, I just needed a break. I went to Kenya to manage a research project amongst the Maasai community for a few months. And it was really there that for the first time, I saw directly what dreadful consequences climate change can have for individuals. So the Maasai largely live off the land and livestock, and they had suffered really severe droughts that were devastating for the whole community. And I remember being told about a farmer who committed suicide after all his cattle died. And even though this particular drought might have not been caused by climate change, we know we will see more droughts, more hot temperature, less rain. And of course, this will destroy communities around the world. So it was there that I just saw what could happen and then I decided that I wanted to work on a topic somehow related to climate change. And then I was really lucky to find a postdoctoral position looking at energy consumption in buildings. And from there, I got to where I'm now looking at health and well-being, often related to the built environment, but more generally also to climate change. Thanks very much. So today you're telling us about the relationship between mental health and climate change. What does the literature say? about the direct effects of climate change on mental health. So we know that there's a very clear relationship between very high temperatures and the number of suicides and suicide attempts. A meta-analysis, so a study that brought together evidence from lots of individual studies done in 2019, suggested a 1% increase in the number of suicides for each one degree Celsius temperature increase, once the temperature passes a threshold that's specific to a location, so varies across where you are. So that's a quite a substantial effect here. And we also know that hot temperatures have been linked to an increase in violent crime. Another area for which there's substantial evidence is around extreme weather events, such as flooding or storms. Experiencing those has been linked to post-traumatic stress disorder in particular, but also depression and anxiety disorders and generally a higher level of stress. We've seen this in the UK, for example, after some of the severe floods that occurred between 
2011 and 2014, but also really in countries across the world. So, for example, in the US after the Hurricane Katrina in 2005, and in Puerto Rico after the Hurricane Maria in 2017. So these are the two areas for which I would say we have most evidence, so temperatures and extreme weather events. But there are also other areas, such as threatened food and water supply, that can again have negative consequences for mental health. And obviously displacement, displacement and migration also have negative mental health impacts, not just for individuals, but also for whole, whole communities and community health. Um, and I also just wanted to point out, so right now I've spoken about the consequences of climate change, so the hot temperatures and the extreme weather events and the threats to food and water supply. But it's also interesting to think about the drivers of climate change, so the burning of fossil fuels, and this has been linked to mental health as well. So very recently, there have been quite a number of reports around air pollution, such as from traffic, from, from vehicles that use um, petrol, so fossil fuels, that air pollution has been linked to negative mental health outcomes as well. So it's the consequences of climate change, but also the drivers of climate change that have sort of those negative health, mental health outcomes. How about the indirect impacts? Things that aren't so, uh, perhaps so obvious. So these definitely exist as well, and they might have quite a, quite a large magnitude. So one is, for example, economic difficulties. So if we just go back to these examples of hot temperatures and extreme weather events. So high temperatures can lead to poorer sleep quality and also reduce ability to work. So for example, if you're working outdoors and it gets so hot that you actually cannot work anymore. So then you have economic losses, and those can then negatively impact mental health. The same is true, for example, for floods. So floods can destroy vital infrastructure that might be necessary to conduct someone's business. So you know, even if the flood itself happens 30 miles up the road and doesn't affect you personally in the sense of your house is flooded, your home is flooded, you can still feel the effects, for example, if you cannot travel to another city anymore, if, or if any supplies you need for your business cannot be brought to you anymore because some infrastructure there has been destroyed. So these um, indirect effects will also be really, really important to consider when it comes to costing in the mental health effects of, um, related to climate change. So it's also important to point out that the consequences of climate change, such as flooding and storms, can also destroy vital health infrastructure, making it harder to access any help when you need it the most. Can we say anything about how inequality structures any of these impacts? So we know in general about climate change that it augments existing inequalities. So the ones who tend to be poorer tend to be more affected by climate change uh, consequences. And this is the same for mental health impacts. So in a way, these are being amplified amongst those who are particularly vulnerable. So in general, we know that poverty in itself is a mental health risk factor. For those who are poor, those who live in difficult economic circumstances, are more likely to have some mental health illness. Having a mental health illness makes you more vulnerable to any other adverse effects you are experiencing. So if you are poor, have a mental health issue already, and you're more likely to be affected by climate change consequences, such as flooding or storms, then you're even more likely to develop an additional or a more severe mental health condition. So there are definitely some justice aspects at play here that we need to also consider. What role does stigma play in limiting research and policy actions? So I would say stigma plays a really important role. Mental health is still stigmatized in many countries. For example, suicide is even illegal in some countries. And so while, of course, an individual who dies is outside the reach of the law, 
the family can still suffer some repercussions such as around the property and those kind of factors. And this makes it really hard to um, be able to measure any impacts of um, climate change and mental health. So, for example, I tried to find suicide data for all the countries in the world, but there are actually only fewer than 100 countries that collect high-quality data on suicide. So if a country doesn't recognize mental health as a valid and important issue, that country might not collect any data on the climate change or mental health, it will not consider mental health impacts in any cost-benefit analyses, and this also limits international cooperation and action on this topic, which is what we really need. Have any of the financial costs of these impacts been measured? Not that I'm aware of, at least not in any very comprehensive way. But I think that's one of the crucial things that we have to start doing. We know that in general, mental health, or rather poor mental health, is associated with huge costs. So, for example, the Lancet Global Health states that poor mental health was estimated to cost the world economy approximately 2.5 trillion US dollars per year in poor health. And um, this is actually projected to rise to 6 trillion by 2030. In England, to give an example local here, the wider economic costs of mental illness are approximately 105.2 billion each year. And so these are huge costs we're speaking about. And I think it will be really important to make sure we cost this in when we speak about climate change. And how difficult is it to track these things cross-culturally? I imagine that they change quite a lot country to country, people to people. So at the moment, I would say this is pretty difficult. Obviously, there is quite a lot of work going on around tracking mental health globally, not, not, not climate change related, but in general. And as far as I know, it's recognized that mental health disorders remain widely underreported, partly because of the stigma around mental health, and also data quality can be quite an issue. For many countries, we only have estimates of mental health disorder prevalence, so not actual diagnosis data, but data that kind of results from a combination of medical, epidemiological data, surveys, and meta-regression modeling. And I would say an other complication for the effects of climate change specifically is that often these data would have to be collected very quickly. Let's say, for example, just after a major storm had struck, so they would be able to link the event to mental health outcomes. But in such an emergent situation, a lot of the focus will be on providing food and shelter, treating those physically injured, and plus health infrastructure might be destroyed as well. Um, I think this makes it very hard to link, or makes it even harder to link mental health and climate change than just getting data on mental health itself. If we think further, if an event that happens also leads to substantial displacement and migration, it might be very hard to track any long-term effects if people move away and live elsewhere, maybe even different countries. So this is quite a complicated issue. It, it is the case that we tend to agree on what are mental disorders. So many countries use one of the two classifications of mental health diseases themselves. But I think it's a lot more around this um, getting the data together. And this one's a bit of a big question, but how might... Uh... How might the problems you've outlined begin to be solved? Yeah, that is a big question. Um, and I'm not sure if I have the answer. Um, so I think obviously the most important thing will be to tackle climate change. So obviously the root cause of the negative mental health impact is climate change. So we need to tackle climate change. And although most governments have policy in place to help to tackle climate change, these policies will not result in the rate of reduction of greenhouse gases required. And in part, this is due because governments consistently underestimate how severe the impacts of climate change are and what the benefits of mitigation are. 
But even if we had the most ambitious policies now, further climate change is now inevitable, given that we already have so many greenhouse gases in the atmosphere that will stay there for, for quite a long time to come. So we need to consider mental health issues now. And to do this, I think we need to make sure that mental health is put on the national and international policy agenda. So we will need to start tracking the impacts of climate change on mental health. So this means we, make sure we need to destigmatize mental health, we need to collect appropriate data, we need to develop metrics to calculate the costs of mental health implications of climate change, and we have to create high-profile networks and events to champion this topic. Given that the overall evidence around mental health impacts of climate change is relatively weak, we will also need to conduct new interdisciplinary, high-quality, applied research to answer some open questions in this area. And ultimately, we need to find climate change adaptation mitigation solutions that maximize co-benefits and avoid negative consequences for mental health. And I would like to say a bit more about those co-benefits. So, so far, I've mainly spoken about how climate change threatens mental health. But climate change mitigation options can be directly beneficial to mental health. Let me just talk you through an example. It's a bit longer, so I'll try to explain this as clearly as possible. So in order to mitigate climate change, one action we should be taking is to reduce fossil fuel power traffic through a move to electric vehicles and through more active transport, such as walking and cycling. So that will reduce greenhouse gas emissions and hence mitigate climate change. At the same time, this action can improve mental health. So we know that being active per se is beneficial for mental health. So if we are walking or cycling, this per se is good for our mental health. As I said earlier, air pollution has been linked to negative mental health outcomes. If we have fewer cars with petrol on the, on the road, this will mean lower air pollution and hence, again, a positive impact for mental health. Electric vehicles and active transport create less noise. And again, noise is a mental health stressor, so if we have less noise, it's good for mental health. Also, electric vehicles and obviously active transport produce less heat. This, especially in cities, can mitigate the urban heat island effect. And so we have not as high temperatures, and which is, again, good for mental health. Then also, a lower level of air pollution and less noise can allow building occupants to open windows more, which then helps to cool buildings down, and so we are less hot and we don't have those negative health implications of too warm internal temperatures. Finally, if we provide infrastructure for active transport, so more cycling, more walking opportunities, then this can reduce the surface area of roads and parking spaces if you have fewer vehicles on the road and fewer vehicles that need to be parked somewhere. So then we can create more green and blue spaces, so more trees, more plants, more water features in a, in a city. Those are in themselves good for mental health. And whilst, of course, we would have to plant millions of trees, billions of trees, in order to have any impact on um, CO2 concentrations, green and blue spaces can have a more immediate local effect that's beneficial again such as reducing the urban heat island effect and providing a passive system for solar control of buildings, so providing shade to buildings, which then in turn are again cooler overall. Cooler buildings reduce the need for active cooling, so less air conditioning, which in turn is good because this helps reduce the urban heat island effect further. So if you managed to follow me until now, I can just summarize that if you start thinking about it, there's so many co-benefits of climate change mitigation actions that would be really, really helpful also for mental health. But I think it really means we should take this as a serious consideration and look at both the benefits of improving mental health 
and at the, um, of course, the cost resulting if you compromise mental health. Finally, if you were able to get one message to the world leaders attending COP26 about this work, what would that be? Well, I mean, I think the most important message we all have to say is act now. Print it in large red letters with as many exclamation marks as their countries and shout it through a megaphone day and night. We need to act now. But if I assume that others get this message across and I could be a bit more specific, I would say let's make sure to put mental health on the agenda. You've been listening to the Climate Change and Health Podcast. That was Gesha Hubner talking about mental health and climate change. If you'd like to read more about this topic, have a look at www.ucl.ac.uk forward slash Bartlett forward slash together hyphen climate hyphen action. There's much more information there. It leaves me to thank Kevin McLeod, who wrote the music which appeared in this podcast. I found it on freepd.com. I hope you can join me next time. Thanks very much for listening.